stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's stock strategist, Andrew Rocco, who's also the editor of the Tech Innovators newsletter here at Zach's, to talk about the small cap stocks. Yes, Andrew is a big believer that maybe the small cap stocks are the place to be here in 2024, even though we had a nice rally in them to end 2023. And they've been basically uh, down on their luck for a lot of years. So I don't know that many people who are even in the small caps. And we're also going to talk about how do you find small cap stocks? Because most people know the Magnificent Seven, all the big tech type of names, you know, the old big restaurants and industrials. But how do you find a true small cap that is worthy of investing in. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Hey, Tracy. Thanks for having me back. So, um, you, you know, I just mentioned that you are a big fan of the small caps here for 2024, and you've been tweeting out about it. So I wanted to have you on to start the year to talk about this. Why is it? Why do you think the small caps are going to be the place to be here? Yeah, it's it's been pretty divisive. Like if you look on Twitter, if I talk with my trader friends about the Russell 2000, it has exhibited a ton of weakness. Obviously, the NASDAQ 100 has kind of been the dominant player with we've talked, you know, endlessly about the Magnificent Seven. But there comes a point in my mind where it just becomes so attractive from a reversion to the mean perspective that you want to take notice. So this would be Kind of, I'm looking at a one-year time frame, a little bit longer on the Russell 2000. And my first slide, and for those of you listening, it's a long-term chart of the Russell 2000, uh, actually going back to 1980. So really long-term chart. On the top, we have the price action. And then on the bottom, we have the number of days since last 52-week high. And the internet bubble... Uh, lasted about 500 days uh, of drawdown before the IWM or the Russell 2000, I'm sorry, reached a 52-week high. During the global financial crisis of 2008, it took the Russell 2000 a little over 500 days. And then uh, in 2022, we just finally, since that 2022 correction started, or might have been end of 21 for IWM, we just hit a record. Uh, for the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 did just hit a 52-week high, but it's been a record length of time since, you know, retreating to a 52-week low and then hitting a 52-week high. So in my mind, this kind of sets us up for a reversion to the mean trade, especially with other parts of the market acting so well. When they retreat, in my mind, I think IWM will kind of take the baton from them. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, it's definitely interesting. And to see when it does finally hit the new 52 week high, but I can see from your chart, it's not a guarantee that it's going to stay up there necessarily. I mean, if you're looking at the internet bubble, it looks like it struggled a bit there again before it, you know, took some time to hit the highs again. 
Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we did just so we hit the fifty-two week high. So the drought is over, but we did pull back, and that's been resistance for over a year now. The area we did pull back, so it's not um, it's it's not abnormal for a market to pull back once we've gone on the run that we've gone on. I'm going to cover this in in a couple slides, but we've had a massive move off those lows right into resistance. A lot of times the market kind of punishes late buyers. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Uh, if I move to my next slide here, this basically, this slide, for again, for those of you who are listening, it, it shows the top performing areas of the market uh, over, let's say, the last 10 or 15 years. And it's kind of color coordinated. So last year, the top performer was growth. The year before that, it was commodity the year before that, it was large cap. So this table from Carson Research, really, it basically shows you asset class returns over time. And kind of the way I interpret this chart is that the best performers don't always repeat from the year prior. And since 2001, small caps are the third best performer. So again, the data is telling us that they might be due. Uh, in my mind, it could be commodities that have a strong year, it could be value. Uh, which I'm sure you could speak on, Tracy, being that you're our value expert, value commodities and small caps might take the baton based on the chart that we're looking at here, because it tends to alternate back and forth. And I do think tech and the NVIDIAs of the world will continue to be strong. Uh, but as far as outperformance, I think the best areas are going to be kind of those hated areas that I just mentioned. And then... Uh, here is a weekly chart of the IWM, and I'm just giving our viewers a little bit of perspective. Small caps, the Russell 2000 uh, ETF, which is ticker symbol IWM, it went from 161 to 205 in basically a straight line. It had one, two, three, four, five, six straight weeks up, uh, and then seven of eight off the lows. So it went from a 52-week low to a 52-week high. And what I look for in these pullbacks is I want to see uh, an index or a stock hold the top third. If it can hold the top third or, or even the top half, it's telling me that buyers are still in control. And what we're seeing in the IWM, we have this three-bar pullback. We're pulling back a little bit here to start this holiday-shortened week but we're pulling into the 10-week moving average. And really, in my analysis over the years, when you have a dramatic move like this and you pull into the 10-week moving average for the first time from above, it's, it becomes an area of high reward to risk. Does it guarantee it? Of course not. Um, but just being that there was so much buying in my mind, like I said, a pullback of this magnitude, even though, you know, obviously, if you bought at the 52-week high, you're starting the year on, a, on not a great note. Um, but it's all about perspective. And on a weekly perspective, this magnitude of pullback is, is uh, normal in my mind. Okay. Um, I guess it's too early to know. But even just looking at this chart, it seems like we're in this kind of as you just mentioned, this trading range between the 160 and the 200 since uh, early 2022. So what do you see this actually breaking out of this range then in 2024? 
Yeah, so I, I definitely do. What uh, the seasonality trends tell us and kind of what what they tell us is in an election year, markets tend to be a little bit choppy in the beginning of the year. And then as we get more clarity about mid-year, we start to ramp higher. So that's kind of playing out so far. And the market obviously doesn't like uncertainty uh, from a political standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint. So I think we're seeing a little bit of that play out. But the reason that I think this time it's actually going to break out and work is, uh, if, let me get to this, is some of the sentiment that we're seeing. So, for example, the National Association of Active Investment Managers, that's a weekly poll conducted among its members to gauge the sentiment and positioning of these active investment managers. And uh, it it recently got to a very, very bullish level. And it came from a very, very bearish level. So I, what I call a knee-jerk contrarian might just say, okay, fade the crowd. Um, but more times than not, you see a little bit of weakness like we're seeing right now. But if you move out about three months or six months later, the market actually, these active investors actually tend to be correct. So you don't want to rush out and buy it. That's why I would kind of piece into a trade. That's what I'm doing in my personal account, I'm buying a little bit of IWM here on weakness, and then I'm going to look for confirmation on the higher time frame, say the weekly, monthly, uh, and quarterly. But one thing I do want to talk about, again, is why I think this time is different. Those famous words, this time is different for the small caps, is this surge was so strong that the end part of 2022 um, was so strong. And I like to lean on sentiment. We talked about that, but mostly I like to, to lean on hard date, data and historical data. And uh, in the past, the, the last two months of 2022, the Russell 2000 gained 21.9%, which is the fourth best two-month gain ever. And what you're seeing here on the screen is some data pulled from Ryan Dietrich of, of Carson Research. And basically, it shows the strongest two-month returns in the Russell 2000 and then the aftermath. And most of the time, it's higher one month later. So far, we're not. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, kind of what happens there. But six months later and 12 months later, Nine times out of 10, it's higher. So that strength begets strength in the longer term for the Russell 2000, at least historically. Again, that we're, we're, we're odds-based investors. There's never a guarantee, but that's what the data is uh, telling us on the Russell 2000. Okay. Um, so I know a lot of people automatically think with the small caps, like, oh, that's the bank's. And the banks were a big driver of this recent rally here at the end of 2023. But I own some small caps in my insider trader portfolio that had massive rallies. One of them was Bally's, ticker B-A-L-Y, you know, the casino company. And they, uh, some insiders dove into buy when the shares, you know, went to new lows or whatever it was. Um in the end of October, then we did get that huge small cap rally and these stocks participated. It wasn't only just the small banks. I think Bally's was up at 
50% at one point, and then everybody started cashing in at the very end of December, beginning of January now here. The stock is down considerably off of those prior highs, which is another component of the small caps, right? They are or usually tend to be much more volatile and more people are kind of trading them than they do the Microsofts and NVIDIAs of the world. I mean, it takes a lot to move one of those stocks, but it doesn't take that much to move a Bally's, which I think, um, let me look, has a market cap under 500 million and not a lot of shares traded. So um, I saw it in, in several of my stocks at the end of that month, but I am also seeing this sell-off that you mentioned, this weakness here in January. So that's why I'm a little skeptical still, even though I've been a big fan of the small caps, especially even the small cap banks, believe it or not, for years. But every time I think, okay, this is it, the worst is priced in, we we just get another sell-off. That's, that's why I wanted to have you on here with your theories, Andrew, because um, at least you're you're the bull here. I am apparently the bear that we're not going to hold this rally. But now seeing this chart you just put up from Carson about the other huge two month small cap rallies, you know, going back, you know, years and years. What's the oldest one on here? Um, 1982 is the oldest one on there. And that was a 24.2 percent return. And it this the uh, S&P 500 were up considerable in the months and even one year after that was up 29% in the year following that. So um, this is, this is kind of convincing me that maybe, maybe I should, uh, you know, be the contrarian here and be, be a little more bullish, but let's kind of talk about how do you find the small caps? Because I just mentioned I had a couple in the insider trader and Insider Trader usually does get a fair number of small caps in it. And part of that reason for that is because the compliance departments are a little different in the smaller companies than the larger ones. They usually open the window more. So a big company like NVIDIA that might be making tons of deals and has all this stuff going on or Microsoft, they may only open the window to buy for the insiders one day a quarter. If that, they may not open it at all. So we never get an insider trades with some of those companies, but the small cap company, you know, they, you know, the, the lawyer, you might even just as the insider in the management go to the general counsel and be like, Hey, can I buy some stock right now? And you know, they're like, sure. Yeah. You know, we're six weeks out from the earnings. We're still, you're still in the good period. Sure. Feel free. You know, so it's a little more relaxed. So we get a lot more insider buying. So I do tend to see some of these smaller stocks that have like good Zach's ranks. Cause that's part of my screening process. And I do uncover kind of hidden gems in there, but otherwise, how do you do it? Like I've, I've tried to, uh, I've just kind of stumbled across some of these stocks over the years, even some small cap banks. I've kind of stumbled across those. And like, I know I've stumbled across some like small cap biotechs over the years, but that area, a lot of traders and investors want to get in the small cap biotechs because that's like the lottery stock area where, you know, you're getting in someone who's in a phase two, or maybe they're going to phase three on a drug. And if it passes that phase three, well, this could be the big blockbuster. This could be the next like Ozempic type of thing. 
and then the stock takes off and, and you get rich or whatever. So a lot of people are always poking around in those small caps, the biotechs, but um, is is that easy? Is that a viable way to find some small caps by by like figuring out the biotechs? Yeah, so I, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, as an investor, you have to do what fits kind of your personal investing framework. So for me, yes, I like to scan through the small cap stocks. And to answer your first question, I think what you said is great. Use the Zacks rank. Why? The Zacks rank is data-based. Zacks rank number ones are going to outperform Zacks rank number fives on average. So you might as well at least start putting the odds in your favor. Number two, I would look at industries, and I'm going to talk about the biotechs in a second. Um, but the industry can tell you a lot about where the stock is going to move. I always say that the, the number one factor impacting a stock is the general market indices. Number two is the industry. So you can look at the industry group. You can look at the technicals, the valuation, kind of like you look at any other stock. But what I want our viewers and listeners to understand is you have to do what fits your, your investing framework. So for small caps, there's going to be a lot more upside if you're right. There's also going to be a lot more downside if you're wrong. I think one of the advantages, as you mentioned, you do get a little bit more visibility into what the insiders are doing. And you can be kind of earlier than the institutional investors. And if the stock does turn into a monster, uh, you'll be first and you'll have that low average cost. Um, one, as you mentioned, the biotechs, and I have some of the top performers in the Russell 2000 index on our screen right now. And some of these biotechs have already doubled for 2024. Uh, so I just celebrated New Year's. Some of these stocks are already up 50%, 288%. But for me personally, this would tell me that there's strength in the biotech industry. Am I going to go out, run out and buy these stocks? No, because I think when something moves up, just like the index, it's got to kind of digest those gains. Uh, another thing with biotechs, as you mentioned, there's FDA phase two, phase three, I'm not a doctor. I know what I don't know. And what I don't know is, is, is biotech. So what I would do in this case scenario, I would understand that there's strength in biotech, especially small cap biotech, and that they could potentially move higher. But for me personally, I like to avoid the single stock risk. And I would go with one of the ETFs, such as the IBB or the XBI, which gives you a nice basket. You're never going to suffer that 50 percent, 60 percent drawdown day, uh, but you'll be able to take part and hopefully generate some alpha. And I actually had a chart here, which is similar to the Russell 2000 chart that I had before, and it's of the S&P biotech index, but this goes for the small caps as well. This is the longest record uh, drawdown in the biotech sector uh, in its history right now. So again, if you're a trader who likes to kind of uh, take advantage of that reversion of the mean kind of trade, biotechs, small cap biotechs are going to be definitely a focus area for you. Okay. What were those tickers again? Uh, for the ETFs, I would look at IBB, which is the uh, NASDAQ biotech. 
and then XBI, which is the S&P biotech. Again, it's going to give you a big basket of stocks. And where I'm seeing the strength is the small cap biotech. But you got to be very careful, in my opinion, trading those individual names. You have to have a huge risk appetite. Uh, there's actually some of the top uh, biotech investors on Wall Street. Their names, the, the Baker brothers. It's two brothers who are doctors. They were... Uh, Previously, my mother's clients, actually, when she was a, a sales trader, and they've actually had multiple days where they've made a billion dollars and lost a billion dollars. So they're doctors. They know it well. And still, it's that high stakes of a game. I would say for most investors, you want to own a basket of these unless you're in the medical field and you, you kind of understand whether a drug's going to get approved or not, or kind of the the market cap potential of these stocks. But for most of us investors, I think the best way is if you see strength in an industry, just to kind of, especially the biotech, is, is to play it with a basket, as I mentioned. Okay, I'm still not clear on the first ticker. I have X as an X-ray, B as in boy, I as an island. But what's the first one again? IBB, Indigo Boy Boy. Oh, okay. I had D on there and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> you can tell I never invest in the biotechs because I don't know the general indexes. I, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing <laughs> over the last five, as this chart shows, that's been a good thing over the last, uh, let's say three to five years. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely am a big believer in the ETFs on areas like that, like the biotechs, because um, I, I have bought some of them for the insider trader over the years and some of them, uh, it's just, even with the insiders buying on the biotechs, uh, even, even sometimes they get it wrong and there's, there's just huge blow ups, but I know people like them as the lottery stocks and they're going to, they're going to keep trying to trade them to get that one big breakout, like on the chart you showed that some of them are, have doubled already here in 2024. That's what they're all looking for. But if we want to look outside of the biotechs, um, that's where I really think people should deploy the Zacks rank. Uh, try some of our screeners on Zacks.com. You can, if you're on the premium, there are some small cap screeners. I'm going to do a small cap screen with value for the value investor this week. So to kind of tie it into this podcast as well, because um, I do know a lot of people are looking for these stocks out there. Um, uh, yeah, a couple I, think others. Could, I think that could be a great combo for the new year. As I as I showed before, it kind of alternates between growth and small cap and and value has been out of favor and and small cap has been out of favor. So when it reverts back to that, which I think will be this year, I think there'll be some some big opportunities. And, and one thing I want to mention that I, I forgot to on the biotech side, there's been a ton of M&A. So we're seeing M&A pick up, and I found that to be a bullish indicator uh, because for years there's been none, and now we're seeing some some big deals go down in the space. So that's another um, bullish catalyst in, in my view. For sure. And if you're looking outside of, say, biotechs or banks, and you're wondering where else can I find the small caps, I've had a lot of luck in um, retail there's always small retailers. So years ago, I found Funko, 
they're kind of retail, I guess, but products retail, they are kind of retail because they do run some stores. Um, ticker FNKO. I also owned it in my own personal portfolio, but they kind of blew up once the pandemic ended. <laughs> like everyone was buying yeah. the Funko Pops. Yeah, it was a big collectible. And then they overproduced them. The value of them declined. They kind of went out of favor. They do own Loungefly, which they did acquire in 2017. And that is like um, accessories, like purses, backpacks. I'm not sure if they do belts, things like that, um, that they've licensed. So they have them at like the Disney parks. And there's super cute items. And that business has been growing much quicker than even the Funko brand has. But they have a lot of problems. Their founder kind of stepped aside. Then someone stepped back in. Then Iger, Bob Iger, joined the board. And then when he left Disney, but now he's back at Disney. So I think he's probably off. Like, it's a mess. But I did find Funko through some of these, um, you know, various screens I run, and it's market cap of three hundred and sixty-seven million. Once again, stock's not doing much, and it still does have some issues. So tune into those conference calls. I really recommend that too for people looking at small caps. You're not going to find a lot of information out there. There's not going to be huge discussions about it on, um, you know, CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Business. You're not going to find a lot of talk about it on even uh, stock twits or like other message boards. But um, you can find out sometimes what's going on with the company by listening to those conference calls. And you really have to do your own homework. So for some of the small caps here at Zaxx, we might only have one, maybe two estimates in the system. So that might mean only one or two estimates in our are covering that company because a lot of the small caps just don't have much analyst coverage. So that makes it more difficult too. Like I've been on some conference calls with some small cap restaurants. I forget the, it was like a tea company. I don't remember the name of it. And uh, I think there was like one analyst on the call or something. So they had like one question and then, then the management was like, okay, thanks thanks for your time or whatever. And then the call was over. So it is a lot more difficult. And that's why the small caps are more difficult on an individual basis. And you really kind of have to know the business some way, like a Funko, like I didn't know what the pops were. So at least I was familiar or a restaurant chain or some other kind of retail that is still small cap, which is usually under two and a half billion market cap or give or take a little bit in there. Um, and so it, as it gets bigger, as it gets closer to two billion, you will see more analysts start to cover it usually. But it depends. Sometimes, you know, it's in some kind of random area that not many people are covering at all. And then we may not have coverage at all, even at Zach's. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, another uh, thing, a couple other stocks. Um, I had Top Golf Callaway in the Insider Trader at the end of 2022. I sold out of that because we had a big gain in it too, and I didn't trust it. The ticker there is M as in Mary O, D as in David, G as in George. So it's a four letter M O D G, and it's 2.5 billion market cap on that one, and that is the. The Top Golf, the chain of places you can go golf and eat at the restaurants and the bars, and then Callaway is the golf brand. Um, a couple other ones I've kind of found over the years using our Zach screens, which went on to be 
pretty good performers is um, Innovative Industrial Properties. I used to own it in the Value Investor, and it's currently in the Cannabis uh, ETF or Cannabis Innovators or uh, one that we have here at Zach's, our uh, cannabis portfolio. And the ticker is IIPR. I also own it in my own personal portfolio still because I bought it when the value investor bought it. And it has a market cap of $2.6 billion and it, it buys properties that are in the cannabis industry. So sometimes it's dispensaries. It goes into partnership with the dispensaries. It buys the locations and it leases back to the dispensary companies or other types of commercial buildings where cannabis is grown or cultivated or whatever they're doing with the cannabis and they're making products with it in there. And they own a lot of real estate. It is a REIT. Um, so that means you're getting like a bigger dividend. I think I'm not sure what it's yielding. It's close to 8% right now. It, it has come down off those highs though. It rallied along with the small caps at the end of 2023, but it's pulled back uh, over 10% here to start 2024. Another one that was kind of a fan favorite by many of the Zach's newsletter editors over the last couple of years was Donnelly Financial, ticker DFIN. And it's one of the few um, small cap tech companies that, uh, you know, the, the Zach's rank kind of unveiled a couple of years ago. And they've been around a while, but they used to be... Um, like financial data was their expertise, but that's when it was in the print format. But they've gone to the software, so they make compliance software. And that would mean if I'm filing like an 8Q, if I'm filing my annual report, if I have to file quarterly reports, which most public companies do, um, any of those filings, you want to have like a software, you just subscribe to it, that does it all for you, right? That's easy. So they have that. It's a reoccurring revenue stream for them. And during the pandemic, they had a huge boom in new customers because of all the IPOs and the SPACs. So you have to file compliance uh, paperwork when you just file an IPO. And then once you go public, then you're part of the reoccurring revenue stream. So it that was a great business for them. The IPOs and the SPACs have dried up now in the last two years, but they still had the, the original ones from the boom times that are now paying customers um, and still, you know, in the subscription uh, database and still filing all those reports. So earnings aren't too bad over there. They have a market cap of $1.8 billion. I did sell a lot of it in the value investor when 2022 came around and all the growth stocks were sold off. So it hit our stop and we we took our gain in it and got out. It's back near its uh, prior highs again, however, and still pretty cheap. I took a look at its PE. It's trading at 16 times. That's pretty cheap for a tech stock. Uh, but earnings expect to be down 14% this year, but up 15% in 2024, a little bit of a rebound. And you hope that they're um, able to capture any new IPOs or SPACs that if that market starts to pick up here in 2024, which it's expected to, then a company like Donnelly Financial um, would hopefully capture some of that. They're not the only ones doing compliance software, but they have been very successful in the growth trajectory of the last couple of years for a sm small cap company. 
and that they still do have some of kind of the print side though, but they are in the transition. And um, I was interested because I haven't looked at this company in uh, over a year, but the software solutions is now um, 40.7% of their total sales. I think it used to be not even 30 when I own the stock. So they're gradually increasing the importance of that, you know, continuing subscription customer base on those compliance forms and things that need to be filed on a pretty regular basis. So Donnelly Financial, ticker DFIN, most people have never heard of it still to this day, and small cap tech. And I only found it because of the Zach's rank and some of the screens here at Zach's. So it does tell you the difficulty of finding any kind of small cap um, especially on the tech side, they all start off small. Obviously, uh, most of them do, unless you get like a huge Alibaba IPO or something like that. But um, it's still hard to find on the small cap tech side. So still glad to see that that stock has rebounded and those earnings are looking looking up. But um, I noticed, Andrew, that in your tech innovators, you don't have any uh, stocks below like the 5 billion market cap. So given your bullishness, are you looking to add something over there in tech innovators that's, you know, under say 3 billion, if you could find it? Yeah. So the, the way that I look at it is th there's pros and cons to owning a, a stock of that size. And for me, the cons outweigh the pros so I would be looking into a basket of some sort, as I said, and and really the issues that I have with personally with finding uh, these smaller cap stocks is liquidity. I always like to have a very liquid stock because if bad news comes out on, let's say, a Microsoft versus some obscure tech stock, Microsoft, yes, it will be down, but those institutional investors the fidelities of the world, they're going to absorb that bad news and, and they're going to, you're going to get a little bit more uh, stability and it's going to have a lower beta in a name like uh, IBM, for example. So I appreciate that stability. I like to, uh, a lot of my investing framework is kind of piggybacking on those institutional investors. So if I see a fidelity contra fund take a position in a stock with high growth, the technicals are setting up. The valuation is reasonable. I don't like to reinvent the wheel. I simply like to follow on to what they're doing. So that's another reason. And then the single stock risk, which we talked about specifically in the biotech sector, but that can be for, for any uh, industry. I think you were touching on some of the right industries to look at in the small cap space, and that's retail, uh, restaurants, which are kind of more predictable. The more obscure you get in the, the small cap space, it's going to be much more difficult to understand. So I like to kind of invest in what I know, especially when it comes to small caps. But but overall, the way I'll likely play it is, is some sort of basket of these small cap stocks. Yeah, that's a smart way to go. There's nothing wrong with buying, you know, the indexes for the small caps or these niche uh, ETFs that are out there that just give you a big chunk of it because who has time to sit there and listen to all the conference calls either? 
<laughs> and you better. You know, I, I needed to with a company, say, like Funko when I owned that, um, just to know what was going on with, you know, the business. So if you if you want something that's just easier, but you do want that small cap exposure, then nothing wrong with owning the IWM um, that's easy or any of the small cap uh, indexes. And um, yeah, like it's that that's the way to go, I think. Yeah, exactly. And and I just wanted to show one last slide, Tracy. I have a annual chart of the IWM ETF. Uh, so it's been around since 2000. And e so each one of the bars you're seeing on the chart is, is one year of bars. And it's uh, it's it's been a pretty steady uptrend to the upside. So one thing, and I'm I lean a lot on technicals. I'm, I would call myself a techno fundamentalist. I do use both. I use fundamentals to kind of whittle down my my uh, uh, stock list, and then I pinpoint them with technicals. But what we're seeing is kind of a, a normal pullback. On an annual perspective, we have this inside year, which was 2023, which means the entire year's range was encapsulated in 2022. So this is kind of a standard pullback. And a lot of people, when they hear about technicals, they think day trading, they think swing trading. But if you look at a longer term chart, it really gives you a nice perspective. And, and uh, again, this is another point of evidence that makes me believe it's going to resume its uptrend uh, even though it's a longer time frame, uh, that's why my trade, I'm going to start to get into some IWM here. I did uh, today and a, a couple of days ago in my personal account, and then I'll add on strength. But you can see it's it's been a clear uptrend for the, the majority of its existence when you stretch out that time frame, as is the case for most uh, U.S. equity indices. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've covered a lot on today's episode. And so I wanted to go over the tickers again for those if, in case you didn't catch them like I didn't catch them originally. <laughs> um, so we did just talk about the IWM and that's just the general index. We talked about a couple of the biotech indexes. You could do the IB as in boy, B as in boy, IBB, or the X, X-ray, B as in boy, I, XBI. I kept thinking it was a P, but no, it's B as in boy there too. And then we talked about a couple of just other random small cap stocks that I've owned often on. And the first one was Bally's, which is the casino company, ticker B as in boy, A-L as in Larry, Y, B-A-L-Y. And then Top Golf Callaway, ticker M as in Mary, O, D as in Dave, G as in George, M-O-D-G. Funko, I mentioned several times. I no longer own it, but I do keep an eye on it still. Ticker F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, K as in Kathy, O, F, N, K, O. Then I talked about the Cannabis REIT, um, Innovative Industrial Properties. Ticker I, I, P as in Paul, R as in Robert, I, I, P, R. Then I uh, wrapped it up with a small cap tech company on the software side that's kind of unknown, but has been floating around Zach's for a couple of years and we've all owned it. And that's Donnelly Financial, ticker D as in David, F as in Frank, I, N as in Nancy. 
D-F-I-N is that ticker. And as always, I aim to bring you stocks every week with some of my guests here on the Market Edge podcast. So you want to be sure to subscribe, get us on Apple, get us on uh, YouTube so you can see all the charts that Andrew was putting up during this episode. You can get it on YouTube at zax.com slash YouTube or put in Zax Investment Research into the uh, search tool and you'll find our our page, but just subscribe over there so you don't miss a single uh, episode of the Market Edge because they're all posted. The video version is posted there, but you can get the audio everywhere. You can get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, the usual places, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week on the Market Edge. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.